Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Our Gospel lesson this morning is from the 13th chapter of Matthew, and it consists of two short kingdom parables, and then there's a small line of commentary about why Jesus is speaking in parables, followed by a prophecy. This whole chapter in Matthew 13 actually is dedicated to parables, along with several rather lengthy explanations by Christ and uh, quotes from the Hebrew scriptures about why he speaks in parables, why Jesus came speaking in parables. In 1964, there was a communication theorist, Marshall McLuhan. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him, well, you might recognize. He coined a phrase, the medium is the message. Maybe you've heard of that. The medium is the message. The way in which something's communicated has as much to do with the meaning and the impact as the actual content. So the form and the structure and the rhythm and the syntax and the, you know, the package. The package is as meaningful in terms of making an impression, communicating the truth, as the actual content. Now, McLuhan's theory should have been as plain as the sun in the sky, but this came as a great revelation, I suppose, to many people. Modern man in his scientifically advanced state, has somehow seemed to fail to see the connection between the medium and the message, the package and the contents. What it really is, is it's a failure. It's a failure to grasp the significance of the incarnation, of how the power and the beauty of the incarnation ties the material and immaterial worlds all together. It's really a modern analytical Gnosticism is what it is. Well, this very same trend also occurred uh, in biblical studies. Very highly trained academic scholars through their advanced scientific analysis and their study of the scriptures determined that when in the Bible you come across a passage that is repeated, says it and then says it again, They so expertly deduced that there must have been a corruption in the text, certainly. Um, You know, somewhere along the line, somebody made a mistake. This went through several scribes, different scribes, and somehow it got patched together and repeated. It never occurred to them that the author was just trying to make their point by repeating it. (laughs) Or maybe there's ambiguity in it, ambiguity in a text. Well, certainly, there must be corruption. The text had been lost, and parts of it had been patched back together, and things were left out, obviously, at a later age. Never occurred to them that that ambiguity had been woven into the text on purpose as a theological message. The point is, though, that Jesus spoke in parables. 
And he talked about why he spoke in parables. And today, this morning, we have these two small little parables of the kingdom, the mustard seed and the leaven. And in this case, I think certainly the medium is a big part of the message of these two particular parables. A parable is a riddle. It's actually what it means in Hebrew and Aramaic. It means a, a proverb or a riddle. It's a riddle, a proverb in the form of an allegory. And because of this, some people get it, but most don't. Some people get it, and a lot won't. Some chosen ones, especially the elect, the chosen ones, right? They're going to get, actually, even further explanation from our Lord and the Holy Spirit. While others, those who are not chosen to get such explanation, they are left to wander off scratching their heads, just remaining in the dark, not having any idea what was just said. And Jesus says in his aside commentary to the disciples that that is the intent of the medium. <laughs> that is the intent of the medium. It's actually a little confusing in how he puts it. Jesus spoke in parables. The thought occurred to me, or the question occurred to me, is Jesus still speaking in parables? Uh, I mean, the obvious, the obvious answer is we just read the parables this morning and we take the reading of Scripture in the uh, context of lit liturgy as Jesus directly speaking to us. So I mean, we have to say, yes, he's still speaking in parables. But, I mean, even beyond and past the Holy Writ, is he still speaking to you in parables, in your life? Is he speaking to the world in parables? Or has he given up parables? He's not done talk that way anymore. He's, he's gone on to more plain, straightforward talk and means of communication in your life. That shouldn't be too difficult of a question to answer. If he does still speak to us in parables, do we get what he's trying to say to us? Or are we left scratching our heads? Does the seed of the word of Christ penetrate the soil of our heart? Does it take root? Or does it so often just lay on the surface, get blown away by the wind, picked off by the birds? Do we get additional information from Christ? Does he come long and after he's given us the riddle, does he come long and give us more information, more explanation for us? Well, if we're left in the dark, which I guess by implication I'm saying oftentimes we are, we get a riddle, and we're left in the dark, scratching our head. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for this. The allegorical riddle, proverb, parable, word, form that we get from Christ is purposeful. It's purposeful. And it plays. Christ is playing on the condition of our hearts. Now to make something plain to a person who cannot hear through a parable would do no good for that person. In fact, it could harm them. It would be, in a sense, an act of violence to sort of thrust the truth upon them in that way. Upon someone who can't hear the truth with some level of subtlety in a riddle. To leave someone in the dark, in this case, Christ, is a judgment, yes, of sorts, maybe a temporary judgment, but it's a judgment of mercy. He's being merciful to that person for the time being, until they can come to a place, such a place, that they are able to hear and perceive what is being said to them. 
You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? You know, they're in, they're in uh, paradise. One in the lower regions and Lazarus up in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man begged. He's down there being tormented in the flames. And he begged Father Abraham to send Lazarus back to his brothers to warn them of hell and the consequences of living an unrighteous, uncompassionate life. Remember what Abraham said to him. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And, and the rich man said, no, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, if he goes back from the dead and warns them, they'll repent. And Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one is risen from the dead. Well, one is risen from the dead, and there's a lot of people who aren't persuaded. Half the time, it's us. I just finished, finished a, uh, a wonderful, delightful little book, which you should all go read. It's called Father Malachi's Miracle. It, have you read that? You have to read it. Okay. If you're a Bruce Marshall fan, uh, you must go read this little book. It uh, takes place in the 1930s. And the, the, the basic storyline is there's this... Uh, this pudgy little, unremarkable, but saintly Scottish Benedictine monk who is sent by his abbot to a parish church in Edinburgh, St. Mary's, I think, or St. Margaret's, um, to train them, you know, spruce up their liturgics a bit and help them with uh, Gregorian chant. They have a motley crew of clergy there, a couple of uh, immigrant Irish priests who are pretty rough around the edges, and... Um, so Father Malachi is going to go help them out. While he is there working with them, he is again and again rudely confronted by the anti-faith progressivism of Scotland and really the world outside the monastery. At one point in the story, he's on the street outside the Garden of Eden dance hall, which lies directly across from St. Margaret's and um, really is a thorn in the side of the parish priest who is always calling down imprecatory prayers upon this uh, dance hall which is a bad influence upon his parishioners which he watches coming in and out at two in the morning all the time. Father Malachi's there on the street and uh, the Anglican uh, minister, pastor, priest uh, he comes out of some building and his hat's blown by the wind to Father Malachi's feet and he picks it up he gives it to the Anglican minister and um, they have this encounter, and the Anglican minister is not small and pudgy and unremarkable. He is tall and dashing and noble and dignified, cultured. And they end up getting into a conversation, and Father Malachi loses his cool just a little bit because this progressive minister uh, has given up, you know, on nonsense like the virgin birth and the resurrection and all of that other stuff while he's still a priest in the Anglican church. So Father Malachi is all up in his cups and he throws down the gauntlet and he says that he will prove uh, the reality of miracles and the truth of God in that um, on Saturday night at 11.30 p.m. if this Anglican priest will meet him here in front of the Garden of Eden dance hall and tell him where he would like it moved, that Father Malachi, by the power of God, will uproot this dance hall and uh, carry it away to any place on earth that the Anglican priest names. So, you're wondering what's going to happen as you're reading along. 
And uh, I'm going to spoil it for you because these kinds of books are not really about what happens. Uh, the miracle takes place. <laughs> so they, they arrive there, and the Anglican minister, you know, scoffing at a pudgy little Father Maliki, uh, says, take it to Bass Rock, which is not that far away, but it's kind of out in the country on the edge of the ocean there in Scotland. So Father Maliki uh, goes deep in prayer, and before you know it, the Garden of Eden dance hall begins to shake upon its foundations, and a great gust of wind, it's full of people too, by the way, a great gust of wind comes along and picks up the uh, Garden of Eden dance hall and carries it through the sky and plants it on Bass Rock. Um, and a great miracle has occurred. This is about halfway through the little book. The rest of the book um, is all about what you might suspect, based on my theme this morning. <laughs> um, so what was the net result of this great uh, miracle? The net result is that the entire world was given to talking about this uh, incessantly in the papers, on the radio, in the streets, everybody was talking about the miracle. And it moved no one to faith. And, and the brilliance of the rest of the book is the psychology of man. Uh, so you have to read the book to get the full import. But it helped no one. And Father Malachi learned a lesson too. Now he was a saintly man and God did the miracle, but perhaps just to teach Father Malachi a lesson at the expense of the entire world, I guess. I don't know. What ended up happening to the world was they were buried even more deeply, the unbelievers, in their unbelief. And their hearts, hearts just got even harder as they sought to prove why this wasn't really a miracle or why it didn't really mean anything, even if God did it, and why they could continue to go on with their lives and try to please themselves <coughs> despite this great miracle. Christ came to his own and they didn't even recognize him. And he spoke in parables so those with darkened hearts would remain in the dark. Not because he wanted them to remain in the dark, mind you. But it is impossible for him to force them into the light. I mean, if he did, that's violence. That's judgment. He has to lure them into the light. He has to massage the circumstances of their life through his patient, long-suffering providence to hopefully soften their hearts so that they might not love the darkness anymore and so their ears would become unstopped and their eyes would begin to see so that they would come to a place where they would freely fall down before him in obedience and worship. They could have been scorched by the truth by the violence of the light coming to bear upon them because of their unbelief, their love of darkness, their failure to love. And so Christ speaks to us in parables, which is a judgment, yes, but a merciful judgment for a time until we can hear what he truly is saying to us. How does the medium, how is the medium the message in our two small parables this morning? The seed and the leaven. Well, the kingdom begins in a very small and imperceptible manner. It's there, but we can't really easily detect it. It's not, you know, with bullhorns and neon lights announcing itself. It's not obvious. 
One has to have eyes to see what's really going on and the truth. It also grows slowly over time through resistance. It grows, it advances ever so slowly. To stare at it. You can sit and just stare at it. It's like watching a you know, water boil or a plant grow. You see nothing. Nothing's happening. You don't perceive anything. It doesn't move. It appears static and dead. But according to the parable in the end, there really is something going on, something powerful and something great. And it will have a great effect and it will change everything and it will be gloriously successful. If we do not believe and if we are not faithful out of trust and love for God's word, then we'll just give up. We'll just give up because we can't see the kingdom and perceive the kingdom because it is so small and growing so slowly so much of the time, so imperceptible to us. And we will not enjoy what God has promised in the culmination. If we're controlled by emotion instead of faith, if we give in to passion instead of discipline, we're going to have a lot of instability in this life, even if we make it to the end. Truly, God is speaking in our life. He is always speaking in our life. And whether it's clear, whether he's speaking to us, in a parable, a riddle, depends on the condition of our heart, whether we will hear him, on whether we believe in him, on whether we trust that he loves us, on whether we love him in return. If so, if that's the condition of our heart, then the remarkable thing is that the slow-growing seed and slow-spreading leaven of the kingdom of God in this world and our life in the cosmos, it will not be a frustration to us. It will be a joy. Just like the pause in between the versets in the Psalms. <laughs> if you weren't here for my Sunday school class on this, if that bothers you, that's okay. It bothers a lot of people. But the problem is not with the pause. The problem is with you. It's because you haven't learned how to be present. That's okay. That's why it's there, to teach you that. Submit dot, dot, dot to the pause. T-shirt. We've got to get T-shirts made. <laughs> Submit to the pause. You know, when we learn how to do that and how to trust God, this sort of slow-moving train up a 3% grade is not frustrating to us. It is a very comforting, stable, peaceful beautiful thing to be a part of. When we learn how to endure patiently, and that's really what we're trying to do, endure patiently. That is, by the way, some of the most profound spiritual advice you will ever get. How are you to meet the challenges of this life? Endure patiently. When we learn how to do that, we will be with Christ. We will be with Jesus and we will know it and we will be safe and we will be secure and each and every moment with him in this life, whether good or difficult, will be life-giving to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.